when we first started this podcast, one of the first things we told you is we got to follow the money to see where it takes us. And one thing that I have found while studying wealth, black wealth, prosperity, has been the area of Maryland has always produced some of the most pristine black communities. It comes up time in and time again that Maryland is a place we have to pay attention to. And when it comes to paying attention to an area, you have to pay attention to the real estate market. And on today's episode, we have someone who can speak to both the real estate market overall and what's currently happening in the state of Maryland. I'm DJ Motree of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast. back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. Welcome, Sil. How are you doing today? I am great. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for asking. I know people are tuning in because they've seen the marketing behind this episode. They want to know about real estate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we get into all the juicy, all the the details and all the gems, Mm -hmm. just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background. Okay, awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast today. I am super, uber, uber excited. So I hope I don't get too excited where my accent <laughs> kicks in and you may not be able to understand me. So to kick off with that, um, my name is Lisel Taylor and I am the broker and owner of Village Premier Collection Realty, which is based out of Lana, Maryland. We actually just opened our doors this past October, 2021. So we are brand new brokerage in the Prince George's County market. And I am super uber excited about that. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. And what I truly appreciated was we actually had our grand opening this past November and I had a larger turnout than expected so we actually had about 200 agents come out to support us for our grand opening. And I was like, yay. So, I, so my husband, that means we do a good job with maintaining and creating relationships. I was like, yay. Um, but just to dig in a little bit about me, um, I am originally from Port of Spain, Trinidad. That's why I oh, said, wow. if I, yeah, that's why I said my accent kicks in. Please <laughs> forgive me because when I get excited, it kicks in heavy. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yes, I am originally from Portsmouth, Trinidad, so I wave that red, white, and black flag very proudly. Um, actually migrated to the States in 94 to attend Howard University in D.C., so I'm a bison, so for all the bison listeners out there, H-U, you know, <laughs> I know they say the <laughs> and from that, I had positions in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And my last position, I actually worked for a nonprofit, a very large nonprofit in the area. And that's where I met my husband. And actually, that's where I started my real estate career. Wow. So I know most people want to know, like, you know, why did you get into real estate? 
And even when I ask the agents that are coming to my brokers, like, why did you get into real estate? I always get this answer like, oh, I love looking at the houses and HGTV is my favorite show. Mm-hmm. My story is nothing like that. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it 100. I had no desire to get into real estate. It was not on my radar. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything that I was thinking about doing. What happened was my husband and I had purchased our first house during the crazy time in 2007. And then in 2011, we realized And actually, I can't believe I just talked him up. He's calling. Um, In 2011, we realized that our market value had significantly dropped from what Mm -hmm. we initially purchased the price, the home back. And of course, that's when the market was starting to stabilize and even itself out. So we had to sell our house as a short sale. I'm going to keep it real. And I hope that's what you want. Of course, of course. Yeah, going through the process with selling our own house, mm-hmm. my husband is an observer, so he was actually watching what the real estate agent was doing, who was helping us in our sale. And I remember one day we were signing documents, like some addendums and stuff. And he was like, you know what, Lisa, I think you could do that. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> Why would you want me to? <laughs> and he said, he looked at the paperwork, he looked at me, and he was like, my wife could do that. So I was like, okay. And I have to tell you, my husband is my biggest supporter and cheerleader, and I trust him. So I was like, awesome. all right, why not? This is where the bamboozling started, DJ. <laughs> um, so seriously, I Googled it. I researched, you know, getting into real estate school. Yeah. It only cost $250 back then. And mm. I was like, oh, that's all it costs to be an agent? Man, we got that $250. Mm-hmm. That realizing that once you pass the test and you sign up for a brokerage, it's a whole other ball game with getting your license. Mm. So that's actually how I got started, just selling my own personal home and the experience of working with the agent. And my husband just saying, hey, why don't you just do it? And that's how wow. I'm here today because of him. Wow. Yeah, I know it was a lot, right? <laughs> what, what, you'll, what you'll learn about me is I love origin stories. Okay. Because I don't know. I don't know why. But I just, uh, I think we find so many gems mm-hmm. in the beginning of something. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that your husband saw something within you to say, hey, this is uh, a key area for you. And then now you've built everything that we're going to discuss today. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing to know you have someone on your side uh that can have that vision and be able to see before anyone else sees it and it's so funny you use that key word in our marriage and our business partnership because of course my husband is my business partner that's exactly how they describe us they call him the visionary in our relationship and i'm the executioner so he'll have the vision and i'm the one who puts it in the action i like that i like that So, yep, that's how we're here today, all because of selling our own home as a short sale, which, of course, was not the best experience because who wants to sell their house as a short sale? Mm-hmm. But just knowing going through that process is what actually got us to where we are today. So what appeared to be a bad situation was mm. truly a blessing in disguise. So, yeah. So, so you enter into this real estate world mm-hmm. and I'm assuming you don't know much other than through... Nothing your own experience. Mm-hmm. So what's the first step? What do you do to get on track to create this, this new reality that you're now living into today? That is such a great question. So the first step, well, was 
obviously taken the class, you have to get pre-licensed to become a real estate agent. It's a 60 hour pre-licensing course. And there are lots of places that offer these courses. And if anyone wants information, they can reach out to me directly. I will be happy to share my resources. Um, and funny story again, when I took the class, um, my son was only a year old. So I had a baby baby when I started. And my husband back then used to install cable. So we were between a rock and a hard place for what class I could take. Because at that time, you could either take classes in the evenings or on weekends, but because of his schedule, we'd never know what happened. Mm -hmm. So once again, crazy me, I took a 10-day class. I took 10 days off of work. Okay. 10-day class. Honestly, I will not do that again. If I knew then what I knew now, I don't think I would have done that. <laughs> right. Um, so I took the 10-day class. I passed the, then you have to take a test, a national mm -hmm. and state exam. And I passed it on my first try, thank right. God, because I don't think I could have gone through that again. Right. And then you have to affiliate with a brokerage. Okay. So for, of course, the listeners, I'm going to push my brokerage, which is Village Premier Collection, Maryland. I would love for you guys to affiliate with me if you decide to go that route. And then what I will share in choosing a brokerage, you really want to sit down and have a conversation with the broker and find out what tools, systems, that they have in place to help you grow your business because it literally is a situation of when you finish your licensing course it's like okay what next what do i do to grow mm -hmm. this amazing business and the one thing i'm forever grateful for is that my previous brokerage who i have been with for the last 10 years you know i haven't been with anybody i stayed loyal and faithful to them until i started my own company i was blessed with the fact that they had great training, great resources, and they provided all the information that I needed to get a strong foundation in my real estate career. Mm -hmm. So that's why I mentioned earlier, you really need to have a conversation and speak to your broker of those companies to ensure that they're going to pour into you as much as possible. So you can have a strong, a strong foundation to you know, springboard your business. You could build a successful career. So that's basically the nitty gritty in that, you know, you really need to choose a great brokerage. And of course that fits your personality. Right. I have, I'm trying to contain it, but I have a big personality. <laughs> I love to have fun. Um, so I definitely talked to a few brokerages before I decided on the one that I was with to start my career. And it was a great decision. And I appreciate everything that I've learned because now I can put it into my own business and help people have the same success as I did. I love that. What the, the question that came to my mind was, what exactly is a broker for someone that knows they, they think they want to get into real estate? Okay. Uh, what exactly does a broker do? What, what role do they play within the ecosystem of real estate? Perfect question. So as a broker, I'm the one that's responsible for all the actions of all the agents that are licensed under my brokerage. Gotcha. So we are the ones that are responsible for training you. We're also responsible for having your back in a situation. Um, you know, your broker, we actually also have an additional amount of licensing and CE classes that we have to take to become a broker. So when you get your license, you start off as a salesperson. And then in the state of Maryland, every state has different requirements. So I'll just focus in Maryland since we're in Maryland. Okay. Um, to become a broker, 
you have to take an additional 140 hours of wow. yes to become a broker. Plus you have to have three years of salesperson experience before you become a broker. So yeah, it's a oh. big deal to become a broker. Plus take another, another exam again. So once again, I did not think I would put myself through it. So after taking the additional 140 hours, plus, of course, I had more than three years of salesperson experience, mm -hmm. I again had to take another national and state exam to become a broker. And I'm proud to say I passed on the first try because I'm a person, I'm one and done. If I don't like it the first time and it doesn't happen the way it is, I ain't going back. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's actually the roles and the responsibilities of the broker. Okay. And that's the main difference between a salesperson and a broker. So as a salesperson, you only have responsibility for your own individual real estate business. But as a broker, I'm responsible for all my agents' businesses that are under me. Because if anything happens, I get the first call for whatever my agent has done to possibly mess up. Or if another agent from another broker just messing, messing up, I'm the one who gets those calls to make it right. And you mentioned a national test. Does this allow you to be a, a national brokerage or is it still specific states? Okay, so for clarity, that's a great question. The national test is the exam that talks about general practices of real estate. Okay, okay. so that's why I kept saying national and state and I should have clarified that. So national is just the universal language that all agents throughout the United States of America uses. Okay. So that's what we call national. So for state, it's actually the state that you want to be licensing and practicing. Okay. So Maryland, one of the rules for becoming a real estate agent is that you actually have to live in Maryland. Or if you live in D.C., you have to get licensed in D.C. Or if you live in Virginia, you have to get licensed in Virginia. So the state portion are those laws that govern that state specifically. You have to be well-versed and understand the terminology because it does differ state to state. And every state does have different legal requirements according to that state. Does that help? That helps a lot. Thank you for great, that. Great, 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 great. Yes. So exactly. what is your, your vision? I know you're saying that you recently launched a brokerage. Mm -hmm. What is your ultimate vision? What do you see for your brokerage moving forward? Ooh, Ooh you gave me butterflies <laughs> with that question. Um, right now, I wouldn't just say vision. It's our intention. Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my husband is my business partner in this brokerage. Mm -hmm. And our intention is just to show agents that you could have a successful business if you desire or not. That we want agents who come to us to understand that once you put in the work, you could build a business as big as you want it to be. And I mean, a lot of agents, what I appreciate is that a lot of people know our story. I mean, we started off simple. Our business was not handed to us. We built it from the ground up. So that is our intention. In fact, I love to tell people that my legacy is that I want to help agents build successful businesses. And you know, through building those successful businesses, we can then empower our communities to do more. Because by teaching my agents, they go out there into the community and help individuals you know, with buying, selling a home. You know, so that's what our intention is. So I'm sorry if I changed your question, but it's no, not. No, no, do your thing. Intention. Yeah, yeah, that's so, what we want to do. So I was doing a, a little bit of research to uh -huh. just understand and prepare for uh, this conversation today. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and I and I saw that 
you uh, dive into uh, luxury real estate. Is that correct? I double, I'm not, I want to be transparent. A lot of people, when they start in real estate, they always say they want to sell the luxury homes. They want to okay. sell million dollar homes, $2 million homes. That's not me. Okay. okay. Don't get me wrong. I have sold them and I have okay. the ability to sell them. But my comfort zone is I want to help everyone. And I just don't want to be defined as a luxury agent. Okay. If you come to me with a $200,000 house that you want to sell, I'm going to help you sell it because I want to remain relatable to, you know, every person in the marketplace. I just don't want to have that specific niche of just selling luxury homes. Understood. So, yeah. Does that, was, that does help. I was going to um, ask, what is that difference that you've seen between maybe the more common uh, priced home and the world of luxury real estate. Have you noticed a, a difference between the, the two worlds? There is, I mean, obviously the biggest difference is the price point. Right. But what I love about just, you know, selling the average home is that I get to meet more people and I get to create more relationships. Gotcha. So that's the biggest difference for me. And also the reason I tend to focus on our average market price point. So right now in our current market, our average price point is between, I would say 350 to 380 because okay. most people can afford a $350,000 to $380,000 home. So that gives me the opportunity to service more people and I can attract more people because then they realize, you know what, hey, she's not selling luxury. I can talk to her and they feel com comfortable talking to me. Yes, I sell a lot of homes, but I sell homes in their price point. And I noticed that my clients feel comfortable talking to me. Whereas if I was an agent who was just strictly selling homes that were a million dollars or more, they may not feel that, oh, you could sit down and talk to me and I'm just the girl next door. We can go to dinner. You know, if we cool, we have a great relationship. We can go to dinner. We can hang out. And I'm not just saying that it happens in my life. My clients want to hang out with me. I get invited to parties. I get to meet their neighbors. You know, I have a client. She texts me. She's mad at me because she wants me to come over. And I'm like, girl, there's COVID. I ain't messing with you and your family right now. You know, um, I get these type of text messages and that's mm. what I love because at least I know these people value my relationship. They value what I've brought to the table and they value how I've helped them accomplish their real estate goals. So for me, that's the difference. I want to be known as the, you know, the realtor who's relatable and not just highfalutin, if that's really a word in our I English understand. language. I understand. Yeah, I'm the girl next door, but don't get it twisted. If you have a million dollar home, I can't sell it and I will, but that's not a market that I target to be very okay. transparent with you. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I, I saw that word uh, through some of the, maybe some of the homes that you may have sold in the past. Yeah. In the I'm past. glad you provided that clarity of saying, Hey, I work with, I work with everyone. So I, I work with that. everyone. Yeah. We work with everyone. My husband loves to say jokingly, we use the McDonald's, we use the McDonald's analogy, happy meals for everyone. That's Ooh, what we're here for. I like yeah. that. I like yep. that. <laughs> yeah, so we're constantly servicing our clients. So, so when your your husband taps you on the shoulder, he says, "Hey, I think you'd be really great at this." What is something that you've learned about real estate now that you can, you know, you've been through uh, and gone through all these different transactions? Mm -hmm. What's something that you learned about real estate that may have intimidated other people and maybe scared them away? Um, that maybe isn't as intimidating as it, you know, as it really is. I think what honestly intimidating people is that they don't know what's going on in the market. 
Mm. And they haven't really understood the documents that are involved. Gotcha. Because one of the things about real estate is that television truly glamorizes real estate agents, which is not a bad thing. I love it. Um, because prior to becoming a real estate agent, my only experience with being an agent was looking at Gabrielle Union on, was it Think Like a Man, where she was um, selling the house? Was it Think Like a Man, where she was an agent? Yeah. It was one of the movies. I knew yeah, it, I what you were talking movies. about. Yeah, where she was selling uh, selling a house. And that was only my real true experience. Is that but, Deliver Us from Eva? No, no, it was Think Like a Man. Oh, think Like a Man, okay. Had, Go ahead. had the boyfriend who was the bum and he she, he was supposed to look for a job and he didn't. He gotcha, was to, gotcha. Yeah, it was Think Like a Man. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was saying that to say that what may intimidate people is that you do have to know the language and you do have to know your contracts and forms inside out mm. because someone is trusting you with the biggest investment of their life. I mean, buying a house is the biggest purchase any one of us will make in our entire lifetime. And I mean, when you think of the gravity of that situation, that someone is truly trusting you, you know, to help you buy or sell a home. So I think what intimidates most people are those documents. I use Maryland. I am licensed in D.C., Maryland and Virginia, but I'm going to use Maryland since we're here in Maryland. The Maryland contract alone has about 50 pages. (laughs) It's 50 pages of documents. Yeah, And what I'm seeing happening is that some agents, not all, but some agents are not taking the time to actually sit down and read those documents. And that's what tends to intimidate and scare agents off because you're not understanding these documents. You're not knowing how to explain to your client what they're signing. And you may end up in a situation where if you had understood the document better or taken the time to explain to your client what they're signing, you may end up in a situation where you end up in real estate jail. You know what I mean? I don't know if you're aware of this, but real estate is the number one industry that gets sued. Like our Ooh. profession is the industry that gets sued a lot. Yes. Yeah. So that's my biggest thing. Even my agents now that are coming on, I know they think I'm anal and they think I'm crazy, but I told them, I think the success that I have is because I took the time to read those contract documents. I'll be honest, I fell asleep reading them. They're the best bedtime material. If I have trouble falling asleep, I will pull up a contract and read through it. But I appreciate that I took the time to read. And what I didn't understand at that time, I talked to my broker or my coach to make sure I understood those documents. And that's why I can be confident in serving my clients where I can explain what the document says and give them the choice. You know, do you want to move forward with this situation? Because if you do X, Y, Z more happen, or if you don't, ABC will happen. So it's just knowledge and making sure you stay educated in the real estate market and trends that are happening. Great answer. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) One of my favorite games to play um, is Monopoly. Yes. Right? Uh And so you brought up this concept of real estate jail. And so Mm -hmm. what can people do who want to get into real estate? Uh, What are some of the key things to make sure that they stay away from real estate jail? Okay. Number one, come to village. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Of course, I have to put my my work in there. Number one, come to village. But number two, really take advantage of the training that's being offered Mm. because even though my brokerage we offer a ton of training we offer a ton of support 
if you're not showing up, I can't train you. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the problems I think that our industry has is that we have the training that's available to make you successful and to keep you out of real estate jail. But if you're out here in the street servicing clients and you're not coming to the trainings, and what I mean by trainings is that we have trainings on contracts. Our contracts change every year. The language changes every year. We have contracts on listing. We have trainings on CE. Like all this stuff is going on. You need to keep yourself updated and aware because if not, like I said, you can end up in real estate jail. So the best thing is to get plugged in. And I mean, right now I'm just talking about any brokerage, but Make sure you as an agent, you're plugging in to the training that they're offering. It's there for a reason. We're not just there because, oh, I want to teach you about legislation or, oh, I want to teach you about contracts. It's there to protect you and to keep you out of real estate jail. Because our fines are hefty. <laughs> like our real estate fines are hefty for messing up. And one thing about real estate that people don't realize is that the consumer is always right. Like no matter what the situation is, our Maryland Real Estate Commission views as public as always right. And we as the agent have to prove ourselves as not guilty. Isn't that crazy? Mm, that yeah. is. That's wild. Yeah. So I could do something. Um, I'll use a prime example. I had a situation where a railing fell off my client's house and my mm. lockbox was on there. And she blamed me for it. And the thing was rotted and rusted. And she really blamed me, blamed me and my lockbox that weighs less than a pound for breaking her railing. Mm. And, you know, she actually did think about taking it to the real estate commission. And when she talked to her friend, they actually looked at the picture and they said, girl, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to look at that picture and be like, that railing was rusted. Your agent didn't have nothing to do with that. Because she told me it's because of her friend why she didn't file a complaint. My lockbox weighs less than a pound. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So these are the things that happen. The public is always right. And we as agents have to prove ourselves not guilty. So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier, you mentioned uh, the word COVID. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure that we at least touch on it. I, a little bit. Yes. I know there's a lot of migration in the country right now. People going from one side of the country to the other, from the north to the south, to the south, to the north. How is that impacting the real estate market in the states that you represent? Actually, it's been good. Um, During COVID, a lot of people, let me say this, COVID, the year COVID, what was that, 2020? That was our biggest business in real estate. Like our business Mm. doubled because of COVID, which was unbelievable because at the start, like I told everyone, I was having panic panic attacks. What do you mean you're shutting down everything? What do you mean I can't sell houses? And then the other thing that was happening is that we had contracts that were falling out because our buyers were losing their jobs because of COVID. Yeah. So what we then, then there, all of a sudden there was a swing like three months later, which I'm so grateful for because I really thought I would have had a nervous breakdown with all that was happening. Um, what we were seeing was that people were just ready to sell their house and just get out of Maryland. And it was the Hunger Games times a thousand mm. with, <laughs> with real estate in Maryland. Um, I think my biggest sale was this house in Silver Spring. I'll never forget. We listed the house according to the market, which was at five fifty, and we sold the house for a hundred thousand dollars more. Mm. Exactly, and I wow. had, I had. 
85 offers on that house. And all this was in two days. And this was in August when COVID was going on. So it became the Hunger Games with selling houses um, where people were not only migrating to warmer climates, but people were also downsizing or upsizing their house. Because one of the things that COVID did was it forced people to take a true inventory of their house because now you're actually home more than ever and make them decide if this house was truly what they need and their needs. So some people realized the house was too small for their family because now mm -hmm. everybody's home from, you know, home from work and from school. Then it was, oh, this house is too big for me. I don't need all this space, downsize. So it was not just migration. It was also people taking a really good inventory of what their family needs were for their family and just adjusting to suit if they could, so. If you could take me through that process, you list it for five fifty. It sells for a hundred thousand more. So what is it? Is it just a bidding war, or one person puts in a high bid and someone else wants to put in a higher? Somebody else wants to put in a higher and it just keeps going until it stops. So no. So yes and no. Okay. So yes, in that the highest bidder ultimately won. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening was because the bidding was come, all the offers were coming in. I, have, I disclosed this to my client and I asked her what she would like to do. Of course, she asked me for guidance. So I told her, I think it's best that we set the guideline that way we give everyone who saw the house the opportunity to put in our offer. And then once we have the deadline, I'll let the agents know that we'll have an uh, answer to them by this date and this time. And she approved that. So that's what I did. I gave all the agents a deadline that when they needed to have their offer in, and then when that deadline happened, I met with my clients and, you know, I asked her, how do you want me to do this? Do you want me to present all 80 of these offers or do you just want me to present the, the top five ones, in my opinion? Um, because and I am so grateful. And the reason I'm saying I'm asking her these questions, because by law, it's I have to do what the client wants me to do. I can't just say, oh, I'm just going to show you the top five. I have to ask her whether she wants me to go through all 80 or right. she wants me to go through the top five. So she was like, girl, just give me the top five. Let me know the pros and cons. And then based on that discussion, that's how we selected the offer that we moved forward with. But it, it was definitely a bidding war. I even think I got threatened by some of the agents. Oh, like, wow. yeah, I mean, I literally threatened, but it was like <laughs> those calls like, girl, my client. And then you got the sob stories with mm. people who need a home. They've been, this is like the 10th home and they haven't been able to get it. Yeah. And then I feel bad because I'm like, I only have one house. And this right. <laughs> you guys, you know, right. I feel so bad. And my client's motivation was money. She wanted the most money. So whoever paid the most, that's who got the house. And yeah. at the end of the day, the, my fiduciary duty was to my client and I had to act in her best interest. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what was happening. I mean, thank God that market has kind of cooled down, but 2020 was definitely the Hunger Games. <laughs> mm, that's, that's very interesting. Definitely uh, the Hunger Games. On, on uh, past episodes and some of my research, I've, I've found that Maryland consistently comes in the top 10 of, quote unquote, uh, wealthy Black neighborhoods, mm -hmm. whatever that means as far as how they determine that. What have you seen when it comes to uh, Black equity, Black wealth, and uh, neighborhoods who have pre predominantly 
uh, Black residents and their home values? What have you seen from the real estate side of that? Actually, I've seen where our Black wealth has been increasing. And what I appreciate is that we as agents, let me, let me repeat that, the great agents and the experienced agents, we are definitely having, excuse me, a hand in that and helping these communities, you know, grow in wealth and grow in mm-hmm. equity. Um, because one of the things that has been happening and has been a challenge for us, and I appreciate that our realtor boards are behind this and supporting this movement, is that because we're becoming more educated of what's going on in the market, we are now, you know, really pushing for the values to remain in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Um, I was even sharing a story that happened to me because I'm sure you've seen in the news where a black couple will have a home and a another um, race will do an appraisal mm-hmm. and it will come yep. in like fifty thousand lower. And then they have their white Caucasian home friend going to the same home and all of a sudden the house appraises. So actually yes. I did have that same particular experience wow. um, right here in Prince George's County. Um, my husband and I were selling our town home and I had to meet the appraiser at the property to let them in. And when I met with her, I'll never forget she gave me a vibe. Like it was, you know, to just feel somebody's energy and she didn't mm-hmm. want to be there. And she let me know she didn't want to be there because she was like, you know, I'm coming all the way from Howard County to Prince George's County. And I asked her, I was like, well, why did you take the order? You could have said no. You know what I mean? But then I wanted to be nice because this is the appraiser. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to value my home. And what ultimately happened is that she valued my home for $20,000 less than what it was worth. And Mm -hmm. then me knowing my community and my neighborhood, I knew there was no way my house was less than $20,000 than the purchase price. And I was not decreasing the price. I mean, I felt bad for the buyer, but I knew what my home was worth just because I knew the market. I knew the neighborhood. I knew what was going on. So what I told my husband was, let's get a new buyer in. And if the appraisal comes in the same, then I will take it and we will sell the house. But if not, then I know there's a really and truly an issue with what's going on in our community. And of course, with our new buyer, the appraisal came in where I expected it to come in. And it was just like, huh? Wow. And I'm just grateful that I'm the person that pushes the buck because there was nowhere I was accepting that appraisal, especially when, and you're going to laugh a little bit, but I meet so many clients for like, my house is the best house in the market. <laughs> And I'm literally sitting there like, you have appliances from my grandma's age. I don't think so, but you can't tell people that. But I truly knew our house was a great house because we we renovated it from top to bottom. We spent Mm -hmm. a lot of money on our renovation. So I was truly confident. I knew what it was worth because I knew what we spent to renovate it. And then also the offers that came in on my own personal property, they were all in the same range. So other agents also agreed with me with price points. So I knew I wasn't crazy. So that's one of the things I appreciate with what's going on in our community in that the wealth is increasing in these communities, but it's also primarily our agent's responsibility to preserve that wealth. And I think so far the great agents in our area have been doing that because we are pushing back and we are standing firm when we see that there's some questionable appraisals out there. So we're doing our job out here. So I appreciate that. 
just a follow-up to that what is the proper protocol i'm not sure if it varies state to state but mm -hmm. if if a black family in this situation is getting a significantly lower appraisal do, what are the, are you allowed to get another appraisal and then which appraisal is the one that i guess the bank or the the lender is going to go with what are some of the key things that uh homeowners or uh, sellers can uh, know or even buyers uh, can know about that particular area? What are some things to look for? That is a great question. And practices do vary state to state. So okay. let's say that. But I know here, and what we typically do is we can challenge the appraisal. Okay. Where we can write a letter and we can also have the comparables that support, that we think support the purchase price and why we think this appraisal is out of whack. Okay. So that's step one, that you can challenge it. But on the seller side, it's also up to the buyer to decide if they want the appraisal challenge. Because think about it, if you're a buyer and the appraisal comes in $20,000 $20, less, that works in your favor, right? Because right, now right. you have a smaller mortgage. Right. And then, so, but unless the buyer's like, you know what, you're right, this property should have been appraised higher, let's see what we can do. And that's when, you know, everyone comes together and we challenge the appraisal and we submit it to the appraisal company. However, there is a small catch. The appraisal company does not have to agree with our challenge. It's a challenge. So they can still come back and say yes or no. And let's just say in my situation, I didn't challenge it because I know the buyer wanted to pay $20,000 less. So in my situation, um, because of the way the contract was written, me as the seller, I had the option to terminate the contract without any legal consequence. Gotcha. So most of the times as a seller, if your buyer does not want to pay, um, if your buyer does not want to pay the difference in cash or you as the seller don't want to drop the price, you can um, just terminate the contract if they don't want to allow you to challenge it as well. So the contract can be terminated. And then unfortunately, the house will just have to be put back on the market and we begin the process all over again. So those are the options that are available. You can challenge it or just flat out terminate the contract and start over. Thank you for uh, that insight. Of course, I'm giving a ton of information <laughs> here, right? You I love know, it. You see, people didn't know this, all the stuff that happens behind the scenes with buying or selling a house. It's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> it's a now, lot. My real first introduction, I think a lot of people's first introduction mm -hmm. is um, like the uh, the uh, the, uh, the the programming on TV, right? Where HGTV, it, HGTV, thank you. Yes. Uh -huh. And if my my research uh, shows that you've been, you were on HGTV, is that correct? Yes. I was on there twice. I actually just had another episode this past September. With oh, okay. Yeah, congratulations thank so, you <laughs> so you're the first person that i can think of uh, that i've ever talked to who was on hgtv so uh, if, if you could i'm not sure what you're allowed to talk about but what what was your experience like what was some of the feedback that you received from people that have known you all your life and say hey you was on hgtv what was that experience like oh my god um uh, TV really glamorizes it. Doing house hunters <laughs> is more. <laughs> if you want me to be honest, it it was a lot of work. We filmed that thirty minute episode in three days and about wow 
10 hours of taping. So it's work. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so just that little 30 minute episode takes yeah. about three days and 10 hours of taping. So I can't give away too much because if of someone from AGTV sees the show, I could get in trouble. But it was a great experience. Um, mm -hmm. A couple that I actually worked with on House Hunters was one of my favorite couples. So I was helping them. I actually sold their house and I was helping them buy another house. And it was a great experience because we genuinely liked each other. So that made it even more pleasant. Um, even the production crew, we had a great time, like doing the little, uh, what you call the bloopers? Yes, during the bloopers while we were taping. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'd be cracking up with the production crew. But the best part about it is that our lunches were bomb because it was H on HGTV's tab. That's so what I'm talking we, about. Yeah, so we picked the most <laughs> expensive restaurants to eat at and we ordered the most expensive. Oh, God, I shouldn't be saying it. because. <laughs> <laughs> But it was an awesome experience. Awesome. The only part, like I said, it was just a long day and yeah. it was tiring because it was about a 10 to 12 hour day of taping and it was tiring. Um, because of the bloopers, we'd have to do a couple retakes until it was perfect. But otherwise, it's a great experience, especially when you're working with people that you like and the production crew helped because everyone was young and fun. And we just wanted to have a good time. We actually just wanted to get through it too because we were tired. <laughs> so I would definitely do it again. And that was my, but the funny thing was that was my second time doing House Hunters. Mm. The first time I did it was in 2013. Okay. And I looked like I had just started selling real estate because of course funds were tight. So I, my husband and I would do the side-by-side -side of my 2013 versus right. my 2021 House Hunters. And he was like, yeah, what a difference in <laughs> a few years of <laughs> So the first one you had just started? I had just saying? started in 2013. Yes, I had just started. Um, it was actually one another one of my favorite couples. It was a military couple. And the other thing, even in looking at that episode, they have bought and sold three houses since then with me. So that was wow. like another eye-opener that, you know, my clients really stayed loyal to me because of the service I provided. But they even saw the episode because sometimes they do like old school um, reruns and they text mm -hmm. me and it's like, our episode is on. And they were like, oh my God, this is now three houses later. I was like, yes, it is. So it's also great to walk down memory lane. Yeah. I'm looking forward, well, no, this couple that I just did the show with, this is their forever home. It's a beautiful home. They better not sell it because that house is beautiful. <laughs> so. I'm yeah. going to find a newer episode. You said it recently came out? Yeah, it came out September 30th. Okay. Yeah, okay. it came out September. And they're doing a lot of reruns because I still have people texting me. Even up to yesterday, I think they did it. They showed it yesterday. So, That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah, awesome. thank you. But it's a great experience. Just long days, but it's absolutely a great experience. I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Now I can live vicariously through your appearance on HGTV. Okay. Well, we have to get you on to know we need you to buy a house so we can get you on House Hunters. Hey, we might have to do that. We might have to do like that. Like that. I'm with that. <laughs> well, when it comes to people entering into the space of, of real estate, what is, what is the number one thing that causes people to not succeed? And the reason why I ask that question is I want people to be very prepared before they enter into the space. So what is one thing or maybe a couple of things that causes people to not succeed so then maybe they can prepare um, 
and adjust accordingly. Mindset. It starts with your mindset. Um, this is a business where you will get hundreds of no's before mm. you get that one yes. And I've personally experienced it. Um, people, you know, they just see me where I am now. They didn't see my journey. And mindset is everything because the amount of no's you're going to get before you get that yes, it is very discouraging. Um, I'm grateful that I have other friends who are very successful in real estate. So we actually do lean on each other for support because even now, because of the no's that I still get, there's some days I'm like, man, screw this. What the hell? I'm going to go get a job in Neiman Marcus, which my husband does not want. <laughs> but um, yeah, because I, I built my business on cold calling. I'm one of mm. those agents who does a lot of cold calls and the amount of no's don't call me anymore, mm. but some curse words I've gotten, um, it hurts your feelings. I mean, I try for it not to bother me, but there are some days when it's like, all right, I got to hang up the phone because it's just too much. Um, but definitely being in real estate, especially your first year and depending on the brokerage that you join it can be very discouraging because of the amount of no's that you get. So I do believe that mindset is everything. Um, real estate is not a fly-by-night, get-rich-quick scheme type of industry or career. It is definitely a marathon for building a successful business. Like I tell everyone, what you see now, this took 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're seeing my success now, but I started this journey back in 2012. It's now 2022, and we're now seeing everything that we've worked hard for come to fruition. So definitely mindset, and just knowing that you can do it, you can get through it. You just have to have that strong mindset that, okay, at least for me, what works for me is I always tell myself, my yes is coming. My no is just getting me closer to my yes. And that was had that is what actually has really really helped me, as well as you know my family because I want to provide a good situation financial situation for my family and even my son. I have to use my son. My son is my biggest motivator in my business um, because I love the fact at eleven years old he's getting to experience things in life that I never would have dreamed of experiencing, which he takes for granted. And sometimes I'm like, do you know that? <laughs> become that Trini mom but definitely my son motivates me because I want him to continue to have choices in life I don't want him to settle and you know it's just your mindset it's it's a rough business I'll be honest it's a very rough business um like I said earlier in the conversation real estate agents get blamed for everything uh but it can be done I want everyone to know that I'm living proof that you can build a successful business but your mindset is everything. You have to have a very strong mindset and know that you're going to win no matter what to be successful in this business. Speaking of mindset, mm -hmm. how long, I know you said you, you've been in the real estate world for 10 years. Mm -hmm. How long in within that 10 years did you say, you know what, I think I want to now become a broker or one day be a broker? Oh. How long and, and, and then how long did it take for you to then make that leap? Oh boy, if I tell you this, you're going to laugh. Okay. No desire to be a broker either. Wow. And it just happened. 
um, so my husband and I, uh, what I failed to mention earlier is that, well, I got my license first in 2012. Okay. And then my husband joined me. He got his license in 2015 mm. because I started building a business and started getting a lot of clients and I needed help. I really needed help because I, oh, and at that time I had a full-time job. So most mm. people did not know while I was selling real estate, I had a full-time job. So my husband came on to help me. And I also quit my job in 2015 too, when he came on board because he was like, we going to do this together. Quit your job. Let's go. And I was like, all right, let's go, Mr. Taylor. And um, so 2015, we started a husband and wife team. We built our business again where it got too big for us and we needed help. So then we built out our business to create a team, which we started in 2018. The name of our team was the Taylor May team. Mm -hmm. um, back then we had about 15 agents. Now we're down to about eight agents on our team. And because of being the team leader, you know, I was more or less having a lot of the same responsibilities a broker had. The only difference was I just didn't have the broker title. And because of that, I was like, I don't need to be a broker. I'm a team leader. I'm good. My team is good. We're producing. We're selling houses. People love us. We're getting referrals left, right, and center. We're good. So then my husband is like, what can we, because we're big on giving back because, because we're successful. We want everyone around us to be successful as well. So my husband was constantly asking the question, what more can we do for our team? You know, mm -hmm. how can we help them in other ways and other opportunities? So, because we were looking for other ways or opportunities to help them grow and build big businesses as well. So my husband was like, I think the next step is a brokerage. And you know, when you hear that record scratching, that, that was literally me to him like, uh, no, because yeah. I know the extra 140 hours, I knew I had to take a test again and homegirl was back for that. I hear you. But then COVID happened. Gotcha. And... Because of COVID, a lot of the classes moved to virtual and being online. So I was like, you know what? I can take the class in the comfort of my home. I don't have to go outside. When I finish working, I can just go sit at the kitchen table, turn on, listen to the teacher and do the class. So COVID is what happened that made me, you know, start to be like, all right, let me just get my license. Gotcha. And then after getting my license, um, I have a great relationship with the owner of the entire company, Village Premier Collection Realty, which is actually headquartered in Atlanta. And my husband reached out to her and said, we want to start a brokerage. What do we need to do? And that's actually how the conversation started because my husband was like, let's do it. We need to find more opportunities, not only for our, our team, but how else can we give back to the community? You know, what, what else mm -hmm. can we do? And that is how I'm here today. Once again, he bamboozled me. He always bamboozled me. <laughs> you don't understand. He always bamboozled me. But it always works in your favor. It does. Yeah. It does. He definitely stretches me out of my comfort zone because being a team leader, I was comfortable. You know, I know, well, didn't know everything, but I was comfortable. I knew what I was doing. Becoming a broker has been has been a whole other ball game. And 
I've already seen how much I've grown just in the few months of mm. opening my brokerage. Yeah, because now I'm tackling situations and solving them and helping the agents out. I'm like, go girl, you know what you're doing. So <laughs> that's how that's how Village Premier Collection Maryland Realty came to be. I love it. Yeah. Well, on, on behalf of Black Equity and uh, our audience, we want to wish you uh, many, 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 many years of prosperity, fruitfulness. And I know you're going to uh, really shake up uh, your era even more than you already have. And I want to thank you for coming on our, our podcast and sharing these gems with us. Of uh, course. On equity and on Black wealth and on real estate. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And on behalf of me and Village Premier, because now I got to plug us, I just want to say thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our knowledge and experience. And if there's anything you need, even if you have a simple question, because I could tell you like the little real estate <laughs> conversation, you need a little I bit do, more. I do. Yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I'm okay. here as a resource and I'm more than happy to chat at any time. So thank you, thank you, thank you from all of us. We truly appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to talking to you again soon. You have an open invite if you want to come back and continue the real estate talk in the future. And I'll I look forward you. to speaking with you then. All right, thank you so much. I appreciate you. You have a thank good you. day. I'm going to say this. I'm really, I'm really excited that we were able to share this episode with you. I've met so many different people in the real estate game. Like I've met so many people and they all have different perspectives and different ways of looking at how to approach real estate. There's not one way to look at this thing. And anyone who's in the real estate game who is telling you, you have to do it this way or you know, I'm successful and you're not type of mentality. Just know, please hear the sound of my voice. If you made it to the end of this podcast, it's because you're a true black equity listener. And I know you've been wanting to hear from me. You've been wanting to hear my thoughts on this. Just know that our guest today told you real estate is a marathon. It's not a sprint. There's no need to rush in the real estate game, y'all. I love when I can sit down with someone who's been in it for 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years in the real estate game because they get to tell you about all the highs and lows. When you start talking with people and they're in the very beginning stages of this thing and they've, be, they, they've, they've found some early success, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a marathon, and you've got to be careful how you treat people in this real estate game because... Real estate happens in cycles. And it's a people business. And people will remember how you treat them. And I'm really going to remember this episode because the amount of value our guest today brought, not only to what you heard, but also off the mic, the character of people, that matters. If you want to learn more about real estate, and especially if you're in the areas that we mentioned today, this is a person that you should reach out to and let them know Black Equity sent you. I want to thank you again for listening, and we have so much more in store for you. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network. Thank you for listening to Black Equity Podcast.